1: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. With me, Kevin Day and lecturer in football finance at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire. Kieran, it's lovely to be with you again, if only because it means we are three days closer to the end of this terrible Terrible season. I really can't wait. I mean, I thought I thought the Brighton Newcastle game was bad enough, but the Palace game was just
0: shot. Did you watch it, Kieran at all? Uh, yes, I, I watched bits and pieces, uh, and uh, it was just dreadful. <laughs> it was just there, there's nothing to get the the, oh, the, the blood running.
1: I know. Luckily, uh, a League of Their Own is recording again. Uh, I, I'm working on it remotely, but I had a Zoom link to the studio, so. I got so fed up during the Palace game that I went and listened to the cameraman moaning about the uh, <laughs> about the talent, basically. <laughs> uh, it's Thursday, Kieran, so it's newsday. day. Uh, but if we run out of news, I also have two questions left over from uh, Monday's pod, because it turns out, rather unprofessionally, I didn't turn over the last page of my script. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Mark Bieshaw and Charlie Bloxham, your wait could be over, uh, unless... Kieran goes on about something, uh, but the wait is over. Kieran for Berry fans, and this this is the first time in some time we've been able to say uh, good news for Berry fans because AFC Berry or Berry AFC, whichever way around it, uh, have confirmed their position in Northwest Counties Division One. Is that right? That's right.
0: Um, so that's the tenth tier of, of English football. Um, I would imagine they'll get a fairly decent following. So yeah. uh, you, you've you know we, we wish them all the best. Uh, yeah, it's a shame that the the Berry fan base has been split. Yeah, uh, because Steve Dale is still playing people like a piano. Yeah, but uh, yeah, this is a step forward. Uh, yeah, we've seen what's happened with uh, you know, AFC Wimbledon when yeah. when they when they set up. So, uh, you know, if Berry Berry AFC can can achieve uh, what AFC Wimbledon have done, then. Yeah, uh, you know, God bless them, and and we wish them all the best for the future.
1: Yeah, I've I've got mates who are AFC Wimbledon fans who say that those first two or three seasons in the lower t- the lower tiers were the best seasons of their life, basically when they were Charlie Big Potatoes for a few years, running basically playing in car parks and gardens. But that's good for good news for Bury fans, and of course, every football fan wishes them well. Um, two big stories to start, and actually,
0: more good news for two clubs: Wigan and Sheffield Wednesday um it's it's potentially good news i mean there there was a story in the newspapers yesterday that the uh potential points deductions for both Wigan and Wednesday weren't going to be applied until next season but then the EFL put out a press release to say, well, as far as they're concerned, um, Wigan's 12-point deduction will be applied when they finish the match on Wednesday night, and we're recording before then. Um, And that will be applied immediately um, unless Wigan launch an appeal. Um, So Wigan have now – they've now got um, uh, David Phillips QC, who's on behalf of the administrators apparently is going to launch an appeal – um, so they got 14 days from tomorrow in, in which to formally put in for it. And then they got to wait up to another 21 days for a hearing. But if I, I did my sums and that takes us to the 26th of August. So be, we could have a crazy situation where we, we don't know uh, whether a club is going to be relegated um, or or whether they're going to be saved or whatever, um, until you know the, the end of August with the season due to start um, in, in early September. So it just seems that it's getting more and more farcical. Well, I, I can only apologise to the Wigan fans if I
1: implied it was good news. I thought it was actually good news, but not quite so. But I mean, also that knock-on effect of the delay, Kieran, means that potential owners are going to wait and see what happens before they
0: put in a bid for the club, surely? Very much so. And the, the administrators did set a 21-day uh, target for, for selling the club. So that's due to, again, that's due to coincide with the last day of the season, which made some sense because you would have thought initially that Wigan would have known where, in which division they were playing and therefore that would impact upon the price. But as you rightly said, Kevin, um, you know, if, if, if you don't know what you're buying in terms of the division and all of the TV money, then how can you possibly agree a price for the club?
1: Yeah um the other big story of the week um which came not long after we recorded our last pod was um Nigel Pearson being sacked by Watford with uh, two games to go which had the immediate effect of them losing 4-0 to Man City managed by Hayden Mullins of this parish, who I'm sure was delighted to be asked to take over for the Man City game. It's not really our remit to discuss the football side of the story, Kieran, but how will it work in terms of compensation with Nigel Pearson being
0: sacked in strange circumstances so close to the end of the season? Well, it it is a strange one because when he took over the club, they they were in 20th position. Yeah, they were quite adrift at the bottom of the Premier League. Um, When he departed, they were fourth bottom. Now it, it is fairly common for um, sort of uh, you know, sort of the red adairs of the management uh, union to to have very big bonuses for mm. avoiding relegation. I'm, I'm sure you'll remember Tony Pulis at yeah. Palace, where he had a he hit two and a half million pounds yeah. for for saving the club, and then he got extremely greedy uh, and quit and, and lost the money. And I don't think I, I've cheered Palace any more than when that verdict came through mm. in favour of the club because. His behaviour, I thought, was very untoward. And I can't go into details, but I know a few more Tony Pulis stories, none of which present him in a particularly good light either. Um, so as far as Nigel Pearson is concerned, I think that uh, that he will be taking legal advice from the LMA um, on the lines of you know, if Watford do stay up or Watford were effectively were in a position where they were staying up when he left. Mm. So therefore, is he entitled to this bonus? Um, and yeah, uh, you know, th- this one could run and run. Well, I suppose the other side of that as well is if if they do go down, he's
1: also exonerated of any blame as well in, in a in a strange sort of way. But it, it, as I say, there are all sorts of rumours about the the nature of the dismissal, and and we don't know the details of his contract. But I mean, if if the rumours were true, for example, of a physical altercation between him and club officials, presumably that would affect the nature of his compensation as well and it won't only be him leaving i guess would it there
0: would be other people going with him well presumably that would come under the umbrella of gross misconduct yeah um you know ma- managers and players have dust-ups all the time so that you know that that's fairly taken if, it, if it's someone from the, the the non-playing staff then you know perhaps it becomes slightly more complicated um Yeah, we'll we'll have to wait to see what happens. But I I suspect most of these things, an agreement will be made. Both parties will sign non-disclosure agreements. Mm. And therefore, it will be left to Twitter to work out exactly what (laughs) happened.
1: (laughs) Of course, who better to arbitrate on situations like that than Twitter? Um, Now, Danny Cowley was also sacked by Huddersfield Town, uh, despite keeping them up. Which probably wasn't his job in the first place, to be honest. But there was something slightly tawdry about the announcement of Danny Cowley's dismissal. Kieran, wasn't there? I, I, something I'm not, I'm not particularly happy about as a decent human being.
0: Well, that that was the really strange thing. You know, I, I'd heard it was announced, um, so I went on to the Huddersfield Town website, and it says uh, we we announced that uh, you know, club statement, blah blah blah. Danny Cowley is is leaving the club. Um, And remember, that's after they paid Lincoln Town a million pounds in compensation to recruit him in September, Um, and then underneath it, uh, sponsored by Laptops Direct. Mm. I'm going... You really want to be associated with getting rid of somebody who's just beaten West Bromwich Albion, by the way. Yeah, yeah, um yeah. It it does seem, and then you read the club statement, and oh, you know, the club sees itself going in a different direction, and all of the nonsense that you get from press offers or press officers using management speak bollocks um, when. It, it, he was, if he's been sacked, then fine, but that, but don't try to dress it up if it's some type of noble decision being made uh, by the people in charge of the club.
1: Yeah, well, so, I mean, the, the marketing department at Huddersfield do seem to be quite creative, not always in the right way, because they had that strange um, Paddy Power situation. And, and in fact, if you watch Huddersfield's home games, there's, there's that odd advertising board which says, proudly unsponsored by, by Paddy Power. But this is a precedent... I, yeah, marketing, thank the, thank the good God, Kieran. I mean, even you're an accountant, even you, I imagine, look down your nose at marketing people. That it's, it's, I, I can't understand why any company would, as you say, would want to be associated with. With that announcement, I, it, I can't imagine anybody reading that on the, on the website and going, I'm really sorry for Danny Cowley, but I do need a new laptop. That's handy. It's a strange one. I, I mean, basically, they're making money, presumably. I don't know if they've got a current arrangement with that company, but it would seem, as I say, tawdry to, for them to make money out of his dismissal. Even though be, it, it, I can't imagine Laptops United or Laptops or Us or whatever they are would have, would have made a lot of money out of it.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, it, I presume that they've got some form of longer term arrangement um, with the website, but it, but to actually stick your name underneath uh, such a decision, there's, as you say, nothing positive. And, and you know, if if I was a Huddersfield Town fan, I think Danny Cowley was was fairly well liked as well. I think if there's if there is bad feeling, it's probably going to other people at the club. Um, so, therefore, the last thing I'm going to do is say, oh, you know, sorry to see you lose his job. And as you say, let's pop down and buy ourselves a Tachiba 386 or something.
1: Yeah. Mind you, to be fair, if Huddersfield Town's marketing department is that creative, maybe we should have a word because we're getting no joy. We can't get a sponsor for love nor money in this climate. Maybe, right. Yeah. Maybe maybe next week, after all that hypocrisy, we'll say our first question is brought to you by Corals, our good friends. In, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we travel the globe on this podcast pod kieran um uh you well you literally i mean you've been what was it cyprus today in america you've been lecturing
0: so, so yeah i've been te- teaching in cyprus and new york um because they're in different time zones i managed to fit in two lectures god I, I, you're serious
1: there can't be any spare space on your wall with the, the, the charts that you have um but uh, Portugal. Let's go to Portugal. Wouldn't that be nice? Let's go to Portugal and do the Podfone care and that'd be great. Um Sporting Lisbon fans may be getting a trouser full of extra money because uh, quite a few bonuses for the Man United uh, buy of Bruno Fernandes look like they're going to be kicking in.
0: That's right. The the base fee for Bruno Fernandes was for 55 million euros. Um, but it was very much tiered towards his achievements at Manchester United. So there's a potential 25 in total. And I think about the first uh, the first tranche of that, about eight or nine million is now going to go to Sporting. Um, and, and rightly so, because he, he has transformed their season and, and they look a far better team with him in it than the previous to that. Uh, I mean, the only downside is that I, I know some people in Portugal and, and they say, The bottom really has fallen out of the market there. And if you take a look at Portugal as a, as a footballing country, it has a far greater proportion of players being sold to elsewhere in Europe than any other. Uh, in terms of the money it generates. He says the clubs are, are, have this as their business model. And, and if Fernandez, who was being sold in, in the COVID summer market, they, they'd struggle to get 30 to 35 million for him. So uh, they're absolutely delighted that they, they did manage to sell him in January um, and, and they've reaped all this extra money.
1: Hmm. I, um, You may have heard me take a slight... Sharp intake of breath there, Kieran, because I assumed that you saying the bottom has fallen out of the market was going to lead us down another unsavoury carry-on type piece of material like we did, <laughs> we did the other day. Um, I mean that, I mean that sort of money, it, are it, figures that some managers can only dream of, and one of those is, chart manager Lee Bowyer, and uh, this is a strange one, Kieran, because this is not something I've heard of before. Lee Bowyer says he can't even open contract negotiations with some of his senior players because of an embargo.
0: Is, 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 does that sound plausible? Um, unfortunately, it does. Uh, as we're aware, of, that the the, the 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 very despised Roland de Chachelet, who was Charlton's former owner, he sold the club um, in January uh, to Southall and Nime, who, who set up this company called... Uh, East Street Investments. Um, And uh, as we know, the owners and directors test isn't the the greatest piece of legislation operating within the game. Um, They they passed the first test, i.e. they they weren't jailbirds. Uh, But the second test, which was proof of funding, by all accounts, they failed. And therefore, the EFL said you cannot uh, sign any players until proof of funding uh, is received. Now, since then, Um, Charlton have now been sold to another guy called Paul Elliott. He bought the club in June, but then we've got a big question mark over the owners and directors test because this guy, Paul Elliott, says, I'm actually I'm not buying it for myself. I'm fronting up a consortium, but I'm not going to tell anybody who's in the consortium until they've passed the owners and directors test. By all accounts, we've not received that information to date. So therefore, the the ongoing transfer embargo um, applies. And I think as far as some of Charlton's players are concerned, they were loan signings with a view to making them permanent signings. So therefore, Lee Bowyer hasn't been able to, to secure those particular deals. Um, and he, if you, if you listen to him more and more, he's sounding incredibly grumpy. Yeah. Um. And you know, he's done very well as a manager today. And, and I'm sure, uh, given the current state of the job market, there there will be offers for him because he's, he's clearly a guy that's perhaps at the end of his tether, having done a pretty good job under very trying circumstances.
1: Yeah, if Steve Parrish is listening to this, uh, not yet. Well, Lebo, you one for down the road, but not next season. I, I, I understand the, the transfer embargo here, and I fully understand that. I, I don't always approve, but I understand. But Lebo is clearly implying, implying that he can't actually talk to players that are currently at the club, senior players, about extending their own contract. I and mean, surely that would be a personal decision for the the player, wouldn't it? I I can't quite understand how the EFL would would be able to get involved in
0: individual contracts, but, I mean, that's clearly what he's implying. Yeah, I I guess it's for players whose contracts expire uh, on the 30th of June or the 31st of July, um, and then perhaps the, either the players' agents are looking for more money, and it could be that under the EF rules that you're not allowed to offer existing players uh, better deals than they're on at present. So, yeah, but that's that's a bit of right. conjecture there. I, I can't guarantee that that's 100 percent proof.
1: Oh, I'll ask Swiss Ramble. We you all know. Um, but I mean, that's a worrying. It's a worrying development for Chelton fans because that would indicate that there could be several players out of contracts. If they can't negotiate with the, with and they're free to walk away to any other club, aren't they? That's that's not good news,
0: is it? V- very much so. Uh, I mean, uh, Lee-, Lee Boyer has said that he's uh, arranged deals with some of the kids coming through the academy, but uh, for the senior players, he's not managed to go forwards. And you know, as, as soon as the season finishes tomorrow, then that's when you start planning for the next one, especially mm. with such a a, a short gap uh, between nineteen twenty and twenty twenty one planning for the next one there's a
1: there's a concept as a palace fan I'm not used to um a good friend of mine is a Coventry City fan and he used to run the cinema at the University of Warwick so this next story is good news for him because those two organizations have gone into partnership and this does sound like good news for Coventry City I nearly said going ahead then Kieran I would have had to go out and slap myself but uh let's say in the future
0: um, yes, so this announcement came out this morning at uh, ten a.m. At ten twenty, I was on Radio Warwickshire going through the details. Um, <laughs> so, I've on, um
1: I've been on Radio Warwickshire. Don't go bandying names like Radio Warwickshire around like you're clever for going on Radio Warwickshire. I've been, I've done Radio Warwickshire. mate. i I've, I've publicised
0: tours on Radio Warwickshire to little effect. <laughs> um, and I, and I've my, my last experience of. Uh, Warwick University. When when I was there, Uh-oh. I was watching the women's rugby team, oh, and they then came back to the bar and they oh. managed to outdrink the men's rugby team, which I thought was an amazing achievement. So uh, yeah, hats off to uh, hats off to the team there. How sinister!
1: Um, but- how sinister must that have looked—a middle-aged teetotaler watching on while a group of young women outdrunk a group of young men. I. You've got a lot to answer for when you meet your maker, Kieran McGrath. Do you know that? (laughs) How do you end up in in these situations? I've spent my life trying to work myself into a situation that involves a
0: women's rugby team, getting drunk. Nothing. You just walk in there. I I just look innocent. I mean I I don't drink, <laughs> I don't smoke, I, I don't gamble, I don't do drugs, but I am going to hell.
1: Yeah, you are you're a you're a living Adam and the Ant song, aren't you? So anyway, back to the, the story of the University of Warwick, which is good news for Coventry City.
0: Yes, I mean uh, Co- Coventry have done extremely well this season. They've managed to get promoted from League 1 despite having to play all their their home games uh, at uh, at Birmingham St Andrews or the Trillion Trophy Stadium to give it its uh, full full name. Of course. Um that's that's a strange one. Coventry are presently owned by a hedge fund called Sisu. Mm. Uh, and Sisu have been in dispute with first of all Coventry Council and then Wasps Rugby Club, who currently own the Rico Arena. Um, and as a result of those disputes, they've ended up being effectively evicted. They played uh, you know, they played some matches at Northampton. Now they've had a season at Birmingham. Um, so th- this is a chance for the club to, to have something that it can truly call its own. Um, m- my concerns is... Uh, whilst it's great that the two parties have come together, and it was in you know clearly it's within the, the the remit of the the Coventry area, um, Sisu are already owed thirty seven million pounds by the football club. And then you've got the cost of building the stadium itself. And, and if Coventry are going to be realistic in terms of their ambitions of returning to the Premier League, then they've got to be looking at a, you know, a twenty-five to 35,000-seater stadium. Mm. And, and that's going to cost uh, a lot of money because one of the things which they have been, uh, saying in the press release is that it's going to be a carbon neutral, sustainable green stadium. And that's not going to come cheap. And, and if I think about what we've got at the Amex, yeah, that cost over 100 million. Um, so for, for Coventry to, to do similar 10 years later, uh, you, you wonder how it's going to be funded um, and how that money going to, where that money is going to be sourced.
1: And just to clarify for those people who may have been distracted by our amusing on the buses style conversation about women's rugby teams, have the University of Warwick promised to buy them land or are they giving them land that the University of Warwick already own? To build this stadium, it, it's
0: it's land which is presently owned by the university. Now, right. whether they're going to, to gift it to them or whether they're going to sell it to them um, has yet to be seen. Um, I, I'm I'm fairly aware of uh, UK universities' finances, uh, and and I can't see them giving it away for nothing. Um, but there, there will be, there would be benefits to the university in in having it there. You know, clearly it will increase traffic to some of the university facilities, uh, to the you know, to the, the accommodations and things of that nature. So there are benefits from an, from an operational point of view. But I would also anticipate that the university would be looking to get a price for the land. Yeah, and of course the the
1: caveat for any good news for Coventry fans is they're still owned by not good people essentially I, again it's one of those, it's like when you find out the venkies are still involved with blackburn when you find out those people are still involved with coventry after everything that's gone on you 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 really do feel for coventry city fans now the man city decision last week kieran that they that they're allowed to continue to play in the champions league we still don't know the details of the reason for the court of
0: arbitration's decision and it looks like we may never find out well, that's right. Uh, Cass normally publish their results, um, but there was something in the papers which says if the either party objects, and and you can imagine that they they both might feel that they've got good reason to object. Um, you know, if City, um, and we don't know the reasons, but if City have got off on a technicality, then perhaps they want to keep that relatively quiet. Um, if UEFA decide, well, we've lost and, and we were a bunch of chumps uh, in terms of the way that we presented the evidence, they too might decide that actually we, we'd rather make, might, we might not want to make ourselves look too foolish here. Um, and under those circumstances, given that CAS ultimately is a private body and it's not, uh, it, it's not a court as such, um, it's under no obligation to, to show the information. The only reason why, um, if, if an objection arises that it, it could be be shown, is if the Cassie president himself decides that it's in the public interest uh, that uh, the details are shown. Um, and having watched uh, uh, Brighton's nil-nil draw with Newcastle last night, followed by Palace's... Uh, equally fairly dull match against Wolves frankly I'd read anything than have to watch another live football match on television at present so I'm desperate for this stuff to come out yeah so it, if when I say that I would rather
1: read the Cass decision than watch a Palace game that's something incredible for you to say it Kieran it's less so basically because we know you it's on your Christmas list as far as I'm concerned along with many other spreadsheets isn't it so we know you'd like to do that anyway now Kieran <coughs> Before we talk about an old friend of of the pod, uh, I want to mention a new friend of the pod. We've we've made a new friend this week in in Bobby Borisov, who um, uh, sent us a lovely question last week. And in response to my idle speculation that he sounds like a Russian accountant or somebody you wouldn't like to cross swords with in a nightclub situation, um, very kindly pointed out that he was, in fact, uh, a Bulgarian Arsenal fan. Um, and and we've we've had a correspondence, and I think it's safe to say that, that Bobby Borisov and and I and you are are, are the best of friends now, Kieran. Um, I'm learning Bulgarian. I imagine you know a little bit already. Excuse my throat, by the way. I've, um, there's a lot of shouting at the TV last night. Um, so Bobby's one of our new friends, but one of our old friends is Mel Morris at Derby County, and Mel's caught your attention yet again, has not he? The rascal.
0: Um, yes, yeah, so we all know that uh, Derby County bought Pride Park for eighty-one million pounds in 2018, and they did this uh, through a, a company which Mel had set up. Um, that's perfectly legal. Yeah. Um, the price for eighty-one <laughs> of eighty-one million. Can I just say that I
1: love the I love the tone you get when you say that's perfectly legal. You you imply that it is legal. It may not necessarily should be legal, but it's legal. That's perfectly legal. You... It's
0: it's within the rules, as as Mel keeps telling anybody I, who's I prepared I,
1: to listen. I just love the way you almost visually put ex, uh, quotation marks around those things. It's it's lovely. I can see you doing air air commas as we speak.
0: <laughs> um, but it now turns out that uh, it looks as if Mel Morris has borrowed the money to buy the stadium from a gentleman called Henry Gabby, um, and and Henry. What, Henry has set up a company called Rams Investment Limited, which lent the money to Mel. Um, now, Henry Gaby is also in charge of a company called Dual Asset Management, which is at four winding up orders, um, mainly from the HM, HMRC, um, and also recently was subject to an extradition uh, order um, by the German authorities, where he's pres- he's presently living in France, due to Tax issues. Um, so you put all that together, and, and it just makes you feel a little bit nervous uh, as to you know, the money trail. Where did Henry get the money from? Because mm. if, he, if he can't pay, uh, if he can't pay his, his HMRC bills here. Uh, it, you know, there must be some strange trail of cash uh, which allowed him to to lend eighty one million pounds to Mel Morris to to buy uh, the the Derby County Stadium. For twice the amount that uh, that Golden Sullivan sold uh, the West Ham Stadium for in in central London or so sort of East End of London, should yeah. say, um, where where you would think that uh, you know property prices are a wee bit higher.
1: Which surely, I mean, this is a question that HMRC would be asking as well, wouldn't they?
0: Um, yeah. Well, it, I think if they could get hold of Henry, they, they'd right. probably like to have a word with him. But as, as I say, he's he's presently living in France. Um, and uh, is playing peekaboo with the German authorities uh, whenever they ask uh, him to pop over the border to have a chat about uh, tax issues there as well. Well, if Henry was trying to
1: buy Derby County, he sounds like the sort of chap who would sail through the EFL's fit and proper person test. But there's nothing... The EFL can't get involved... At all in a situation like this. They've got no remit whatsoever to say to Mel Morris, we need you to explain where this chap's got the money from, because this is simply a, a private business matter between the owner of Derby County and his, his good
0: friend Henry Gaby. That's absolutely correct. So, uh, you know, the EFL owners and directors test would, would only apply if Henry decides that he is going to buy um, Derby County. And, you know, that's, uh, that, that particular ship, I think, has sailed uh, in the sense that he seemed to lose interest. Um, you know, earlier earlier in the year, uh, which then begs the question: Why did he lend the money to Mel in the first place? Yeah,
1: you know, I'd be interested to hear from Derby County fans about this because this strikes me as one of those stories that's a little like Wigan that you know we 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 chuckle about these people who you know are obviously wrong-uns. Uh, I'm sure Henry is listening to this in France might not like me saying that, but legally. I'll take my chances but it, it, it's one of those stories that I say we chuckle about it but it it doesn't sound like that's going to have a good ending to me that's that's all oh,
0: there's a lot of as you say red flags being raised right there aren't there unfortunately so and uh you know Derby themselves are up on a charge from the EFL and that yeah. one's not been resolved and that's another potential points deduction and these things are dragging on too long uh, you know the derby. Yeah, yeah. the derby case was uh the charges were january we're now you know towards the arse end of of july uh sheffield wednesdays were uh november uh, and the, the the problem is is that if if the If the decisions aren't made quickly, and it means that the likes of Barnsley and Luton potentially end up being relegated, you can see them taking legal action um, because they feel that they have been discriminated against due to the the prevarication in in making a ruling on these clubs. Yeah. Do we know what the rate of interest is on this loan by any chance? I've not seen anything because... Um Mel Morris, as we've previously discussed isn't particularly quick at publishing his accounts
1: mm, yeah fair enough but but this would have that's one of the things that would have to be included on an account sheet presumably
0: yeah if if they are if they are full accounts yes uh if they use those abbreviated ones which as you know get get my blood boiling um then you wouldn't be wouldn't necessarily see the numbers not just your blood as well. I think it's become a pattern
1: on twitter, a lot of football fans uh inspired by you. Um, I'm sure one or two of them listening to this podcast maybe will become a stand-up comedian but there's a lot of, uh, there's, a lot of there's a lot of our listeners in you who, who have been looking at the accounts of their own club which is a good thing I mean in, in years to come it's a great thing for football fans if, if they're able to to do so and interpret them but uh, every day we get new tweets from people going my bloody club have done the abbreviated accounts and it's angering people isn't it and it's it, it's not something that ever occurred to me but it's there are increasingly people are getting worried by it because it, it, it's, it's human nature just to, to worry about the fact that your club is doing the abbreviated accounts because you can't help but feeling they're hiding something, even though, as we've uh, pains to say, they're entirely um, legally
0: able to do so, aren't they? That's right. And, and the thing is, it is their club. You know, it yeah, is of course. The, yeah, the yeah. club belongs to the fans yeah, yeah. and therefore the fans in my view are entitled to full disclosure because the clubs can't have it both ways. They they can't keep saying to the fans, "Oh, you know, we, we, we're skin." Any chance of you know de- deferring or or declining your your rebate on your season ticket? And the fans say yes. Um, and, and then going back to Derby, uh, you know, Derby themselves have asked the players to take pay cuts, um, and, and then their chief executive uh wanders into the the derby uh training ground mm. with a brand new porsche with personalized number plates yeah yeah and, and you know at the same time the club's furloughing staff getting other people to take pay cuts it, it does seem that that club at times is a bit of a tin ear
1: yeah if if you were writing a sitcom about the, the travails of a football club and you had a dodgy owner and you wrote in the, ski, the scene where he turned up in a porsche the the director would say i think we need to rain that down a little bit that's 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 not quite right. And yet there he is. And do you know what? I do, I do love the fact that up and down the country, suddenly club owners are going, I've had another bloody email from some bloke called Terry who wants to have a look at the accounts, which is, uh, I think it's think that's, that's all credit to Kieran Maguire. There's <laughs> this woman called June who says, why are we doing abbreviated accounts? Anyway, um, we haven't actually mentioned COVID for quite some time, which is a blessing, but this next story is specifically COVID-based because League One and League Two clubs are threatened Uh, strike action Guy says um, if they have to bear the costs of COVID testing throughout next season and as a reminder Kieran to some of our newer listeners could you tell us how much those costs are because they're quite substantial aren't they?
0: yeah i think its a, I think it 's estimated to be about one hundred and fifty pounds per player yeah and if if they 're going to be working in effectively these little bubbles together, then I think they need to be tested twice a week so yeah, you've got, you 've know, got twenty five yeah. players you start to do the sums and if you're a League one and League or League two club and you 've got no no match day income coming in, your TV income is peanuts compared to that of the championship and certainly the Premier League. Um, then it it does become questionable as to whether or not you can afford to take the players out of furlough uh, and to uh, to bring them back a to pay them a wage and then b you 've got the additional costs with no income coming in mm. uh, yeah, there is in theory a twelfth of September restart in the EFL. Uh, but no fans attending until October. Yeah. So some clubs are now saying, well, we don't want any midweek fixtures to take place during the early period until the fans return. But you then start to look at the fixture list and it just becomes horrendous. Yeah. Um, so a lot of clubs, including I think the likes of Ipswich, have said, we're going to be losing so much money. We we don't want to start football uh, again because it it's putting the the club's future fin- future existence at risk by taking such an approach. It's, it's hard to see how strike action would affect it though. I mean,
1: refusing to play is kind of cutting off the nose to spite the face in this situation a little bit. And I talk as an ex-human resources manager, for me, strike action is always a failure of, of management, not of, of unions. It should never be allowed to get to that stage. But it it seems a strange option to take in this situation, doesn't it?
0: It does I mean it could it could could be a little bit of you know gunboat diplomacy um i mean with a bit of luck we'll have made enough progress in in the testing processes so that those costs will be substantially reduced um you know by by the next month or two in which case it yeah. could be that the whole whole issue disappears
1: yeah i I always think back to one of my more reactionary colleagues who's uh response to any threat of strike action by workers was calling the army. So maybe that's what we could do. Just get, get league one and league two played by. Never mind. Um. uh One story we will, we do have just have time to get to the two questions that I shamefully forgot to get to who two pieces of paper were stuck together. I didn't know these, these things can happen to the best of, I'm sure it happened to Parkinson once. I'm sure he ended up asking Helen Mirren a question he meant to ask George best. And she, she had no idea why he was asking her about Miss World. But um, um, the SPFL up in Scotland, uh, our good friends, have announced that all 42 clubs will participate in the Scottish League Cup, which is a positive announcement, I think, because there was a stage when it looked like a lot of Scottish clubs wouldn't survive till that stage. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action.
0: My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer.
1: You can try Notion for free when you go to Notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, Notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's Notion.com slash price of football.
0: or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yeah, well, again, it sounds good. They're not necessarily participating. All 42 clubs are being invited to play in the Scottish League club. Uh, Scottish League Cup, along with uh, Kelty Hearts and Brawra Rangers, who are the winners of the Lowland and the Highland leagues. Yeah, um, but if the if those clubs feel that it's get the match is going to be taking place, not but not in front of an audience because remember, um, the the Scottish government has a different set of rules to that of the what's <clears> happening in yeah. England. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, those clubs will also be given the option to opt out of participating. I think under the Scottish League Cup rules, you normally start off with a small group stage. That's right. um, And you could have two or three games in a week um, where you're having to pay the players in front of nobody for no TV audience as well. And you you can imagine if you were a club owner um, or or, the supporters group, you say, well, who's who's benefiting from this? Because nobody's even going to see the games apart from the players themselves. Yeah. See, so once again, <clears throat> I'm going to have to read these
1: questions more carefully when Guy sends them through, because that's the third question when I thought, well, this is good news. And it turns out on cursory examination, it's not particularly good news at all. Um That's my fault. That's a failure of research and a little bit of Guy's questions. Um Let's, to, speaking of which, let's uh, finish with the two questions we get, didn't get to uh, on Sunday. The first question, Kieran, comes from Mark Bishall. Uh, I hope I've pronounced that correctly B E A S H A L, or the form Kieran, uh, Guy's in at the moment. It could be Smith, who knows. Um, but Mark's question is uh, <coughs> this is what happens when Guy's not here when we record. Um, Mark's question is, and again, both the questions we got are about broadcasting, and they're both very valid questions. Mark says it seems to me that most clubs have a large number of fans around the world who rarely attend games but would be happy to pay 5 to £10, his figures, to watch streamed matches, home or away. And he gives an example of Laura Marling, who did a live stream from Union Chapel in London last week, which only holds 800 people, but 6,500 people watched it live on stream. I wrote a show for Oxford Playhouse last week. Similarly... Um, Seat 650 people, and we had 1400 people watching it. Um, the economics were such that we had to charge slightly more than five to ten pounds. But it seems to me that that's quite a decent suggestion. But also, as I recall, when Amazon first got involved in football last year over Christmas and New Year, they were talking about that being one of their models as well that in future they would be looking maybe to live stream every game.
0: Yes, uh, I mean the, the issue with streaming is is it going to replace what we presently have in, in terms of broadcast. And we've got to remember that the Premier League is is bringing in 3 billion pounds a season from traditional TV satellite uh sales. So you you would have to do, you know, if you, if you do the maths, you'd have to sell an awful lot of these packages and I think they would work for a select number of clubs you know that the, the <coughs> manchester united have enough of a global fan base for that to be potentially lucrative for them the same with the likes of liverpool and chelsea and so on um but if you drop down into the championship and uh it's reading versus middlesbrough on a tuesday night um how many people are going to uh pay that 5 or 10 pounds when you know if when potentially it's clashing with champions league uh, you know, mm, potentially yeah. that there are other things being broadcast. Uh, you know, you might be looking at things on Netflix. You might be looking at uh, the traditional broadcasters and so on. So it, it does have some merits. Uh, But remember, the EFL do have their own streaming service called iFollow, and uh, the the money being generated through iFollow, I think if you talk to the clubs involved in in the EFL, um, they've been quite disappointed that not many people have signed up. And also, those people that have signed up, they haven't been particularly impressed with the quality of the service involved. Although, I, if if we get the likes of Amazon involved, you know, they are an incredibly professional outfit, yeah. and I'm sure that the, the standard uh, that they provide would perhaps be better. But the, the, the cost is quite an
1: interesting one, because the show we did for Oxford Playhouse, uh, which is still available on YouTube for a donation, by the way, for another three weeks, uh, it was very good, though I say so myself. We charge, or Oxford Playhouse, I think, charged twenty pound per household to watch it live as it went out because people desperately wanted to watch a show live, even if it was from their own house, and they wanted to feel they were watching it at the same time as as other people. We charge twenty pound per household, but f- knowing full well that there could be five or six people in that household who watched it. Now, <coughs> excuse me, somebody like Amazon are going to be saying, "Well, if we charge twenty pound per household," when lockdown's finished you could have 20 mates basically around to watch it in your house uh, so technically they're only paying a pound so I, I I wonder whether they would they would charge so much that it becomes economically unattractive for football fans anyway because yeah the broadcasters won't do it clubs won't do it unless they can make money out of it and it, it seems to me that Mark's figure of five to ten pound is 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 very optimistic.
0: Uh, I think that, that's a valid point. Uh, re- remember, we, oh, we okay. could do exactly the same with Sky. You know, that's you and I could no both you know, sack yeah, off yeah. Sky and, and we just go around to a mate's house uh, you know, in a non-COVID world. But we don't. I think we quite like uh, watching it uh, when there is an atmosphere and the matches uh, you know, are worthy of being watched. Um, and, that, and that's not such a bad experience. Um, so... Well, I think we'd have to wait and see. But remember, if if the streaming is going to work, it's got to first of all uh, be able to to effectively guarantee it's going to replace the three billion pounds the Premier League is generating at present, and and then you've got to work out how you're going to split the money. Uh, you know, for for all of the faults of the Premier League, the way it distributes broadcasting money is one of the most democratic um, in in UEFA uh, countries. Um, and that's what makes it such a an unpredictable and relatively competitive league and until you know we effectively take the last two seasons where we've had two outstanding teams mm. prior to that there was a, there was a fair amount of competition uh, and you were never quite sure who was going to win the Premier League at the start of it and to be fair, the way the Premier League shaping up next season with united
1: and chelsea uh, Splashing the cash. It looks like that could be the case next season. Um, our last question, Kieran, uh, hung over from Monday, uh, much like me, um, is from Charlie Vloxham. Uh And I'm kind of throwing Charlie to the wolves here because I think this is a really good question, but it, it, it's also such an obvious question. I've been slightly reluctant to ask it myself in case you give me that look. Now, I, I can't actually see you, but I know what that look is. Uh, I, I live in fear of that look, Kieran, it's like one of the teachers at school that only has to look at you for you to start going, oh my God. Uh, but Charlie, Charlie's question is, is simply this, why are Premier League clubs having to rebate TV broadcasters when even more games are being shown
0: on TV at the moment than ever before? and it's a it's a very valid question from Charlie uh, the and reason me, and why me. Oh, it's my question and as well. you sorry and you Kevin um the, the reason why is that the broadcasters signed up for matches for a season which would end in the second week of may um and they had other sports lined up for the rest of may june ah. july and so on right so therefore the Premier League has failed to deliver during uh you know during lockdown during March, April and May and as a result of that the the broadcasters have had to give rebates to their subscribers. So what the what the broadcasters are doing they're saying well if we're having to give money back because we've not been able to deliver to our subscribers we in turn are going to demand that money back from the Premier League itself. Right but it, it it's kind of worked out well for them though because
1: yeah, we've finally been able to show cricket, but there's been there's no tennis as such apart from Novak Djokovic's ill fated tournament. So it's it's kind of filled a big gap for them, isn't it? Because I mean, this time of year normally I I can't imagine that that golf, popular as it is, would get as many viewers as a Premier League football games have been getting for Sky. So it's kind of it's kind of helped them fill a gap, hasn't
0: it? it has it has felt it has helped fill that gap and um what sky have done as a result of that and b t and some of the other broadcasters is that they have reduced the amount of the rebate right. originally it was going to be seven hundred and fifty million pounds it's now been reduced to three hundred and sixty um due to sort of a goodwill feeling okay. that yes we are now we now have something to show uh our our viewers um, although it's it's not filling it to the same 24-7 that, that Sky would hope because so many other sports have failed to deliver during this period. And do you think, Kieran, that they will do a separate deal for next season for for
1: before crowds coming back and after crowds coming back? Because it, it seems to me, I mean, obviously the broadcasters are the people that are really driving to get people back into stadiums. So, I mean, will, will they be expecting a rebate until October, November, when perhaps the Premier League can get... 30, 40, 50% people in and then do another deal? Or will the, will the deal, has the deal already been done? Are we in the middle of a, a three year period, so to speak?
0: Well, this is, we are presently at the end of year one of, oh, of right, the okay. three year cycle right. uh, between the Premier League and the domestic broadcasters. Now, the, the broadcasters will have signed up for X matches in. August, September, and so on. Provided the Premier League deliver on that, then there's no reason why a rebate should be given, right. even if there aren't any crowds. I don't. I, if, I, I suspect if you go through the paperwork, it's it's what the the contract says is you've got to play a match on the on the 14th of August or whenever it's going to be, um, and it's not going to say there's got to be a minimum of X thousand people right. in okay. attendance. Right. So I think they'll be safe from from that. Um, the clubs themselves, of course, will still be hurting because uh, merchandise sales will be down because people won't be going to stadia. Ticket sales will be down, catering sales will be down. So, so the clubs are still going to have a, a fairly long period um, until they they start to generate income. And then we've got this this surreal situation of forty percent of people are going to be going to games. Well, which 40%?
1: Yes, yeah, which, which we discussed on the last uh, pod. I mean, that's for football. So, I mean, I, as long as we can start getting some people in. I, I've still got this feeling that the, the thir- third round of the FA Cup will be when we're looking to get people back to full capacity, But which isn't that long away, really, to be, think about it. So, uh, But, Charlie, thank you for that question. Um, I'm sorry I threw you out in front of me like a human shield. Uh, when I asked it uh, if you have questions for us it's questions at com because we will be back next Monday with uh, a question special as ever um, don't worry if you think your question's not a clever one uh, it will be to me it might not be so to Kieran if it's club specific if it's about anything in the world please ask us a question and we will do our best to answer it uh, in the meantime Kieran there's only one round of games to go and then
0: a couple of weeks off and
1: we'll be back again
0: yeah uh, and I'm, I'm struggling to to look forward to the end of this season or the start of next one but but hopefully and yeah this is sometimes happens before when you've had a bit of a bobbing season or something it's not been not gone the way you think as soon as the fixtures come out you start to get excited but i suspect my reaction be well, the fixtures are out and then i won't be going to those matches for another 3 months but yeah, yeah. we got to be positive uh you know football is taking place uh you know the, the number of people who are suffering from this horrible disease in in the UK appears to have gone down significantly, although it, we can't say that for other countries around the world. So, uh, you know, and, and football is it's better than nothing, but not much at present. Yeah, and we're
1: we're seeing pilot schemes very soon for cricket and horse racing, so hopefully it won't be far behind until people can start to get to to their grounds. Um, uh, in the meantime, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will be back on Monday. Have a lovely last
0: weekend of the season. Stay safe, boys and
1: girls. my son for football.